Hi everyone, some exciting news before we get started. We are doing our first special event on December 31st, 2020. We are going to bid goodbye to this year by doing a live stream watch of Netflix's Rebecca. This will be happening at 9.45 Central Time, 10.45 Eastern Time, 7.45 Pacific Time, and for those of you across the pond, I'm sorry, in London, that'll be 3 a.m. So the good news is that we're recording it, and for patrons, it will be available. Patrons can access all of our bonus episodes for $5 a month, so if you just want to do it for a month and listen to our bonus episodes and cancel, that's cool. Or if you want to keep supporting us, that would be amazing. But we're going to be joined by Casey Ryan, who has been a guest on several episodes. She was on our original Rebecca episode, Hitchcock's Rebecca, which we are all huge fans of. So we don't know what this new one's going to be like. It could be great. It could be terrible. But join us to watch along. We'll have a champagne toast at midnight, and we look forward to being there with you. We'll post all the information and the link to it that evening so that you can all join us, and we look forward to ringing in the new year with you. Thanks for listening. Just a quick note before we get started, we are only able to do this podcast because of the support of you, our listeners. We'd like to thank each and every one of our Patreon donors that help keep this show going. Through Patreon, we are able to offer our supporters bonus content like mini-episodes and even the chance to program an episode with monthly donations that help us keep the lights on. If you're interested in joining our Patreon family, please click the link in the show notes. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and or comment on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. That helps us gain helpful insight about the show and boost our visibility. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will focus on a mystery, suspense, or thriller, and the women that made them famous. We're your hosts, Lara Celeste Cannon and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 2018 Christmas zombie musical, Anna and the Apocalypse. Directed by John McFowl, written by Ryan McHenry and Alan McDonald, based on McHenry's 2010 BAFTA-nominated short, Zombie Musical. Starring Ella Hunt, Malcolm Cumming, Sarah Swire, Christopher Laveau, Marley Siu, Ben Wiggins, Mark Benton, and Paul Kay. To get us started, here is a synopsis. A zombie apocalypse threatens the sleepy town of Little Haven at Christmas, forcing Anna and her friends to fight, slash, and sing their way to survival, facing the undead in a desperate race to reach their loved ones. But they soon discover that no one is safe in this new world, and with civilization falling apart around them, the only people they can truly rely on are each other. We want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We go in depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, go watch the movie and come back. We will be waiting. Trigger warnings for this episode are zombie violence and gore, strong language, some sexual material, and frightening and intense scenes. This movie came out in 2018. 
That year saw not one but two shutdowns of the U.S. government. The Winter Olympics took place in South Korea. The royal wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle took place on May 19th. 17 people were killed in the Parkland, Florida school shooting. It was one of the deadliest in U.S. history. The aftermath of the shooting, several student survivors helped ignite a national debate over gun violence in the U.S., demanding stricter gun control laws. Hurricane Michael pulverized parts of the Florida panhandle. The Shape of Water won Best Picture at the Oscars. God's Plan by Drake became the longest-running number one hit of the year. Crazy Rich Asians and Black Panther made movie history, grossing $173 million domestically and $1.3 million globally at the box office, respectively. The world said goodbye to Aretha Franklin and comic legend Stan Lee. And also, don't forget that that was the year that the Me Too movement was sparked a huge conversation around women's rights and survivors of rape and sexual assault. And one of the biggest things that happened that year was Christine Blasey Ford testified against Brett Kavanaugh during his Supreme Court confirmation hearings. That's right. So today we are talking about Anna and the apocalypse. No such thing as a Hollywood ending. And I remember seeing previews for this movie. You and I were both super excited about it, but we didn't end up getting to see it in theaters that year for some reason. So last Christmas... I was hanging out at your place, I guess, probably on one of my days off. And we were like, hey, let's watch this. And we both loved it. Yeah, I can't remember the day that we watched it. It was probably on Christmas break, honestly, for me. Because I assume the reason we didn't see it in theaters is because of our work schedules. Yeah, we watched it here at the house. And the music is immediately what grabs you. It was such a fun watch. But also, it had some some depth to it. There was a lot going on. So it was a fun watch, but also kind of one of the most original concepts I have seen in a long time. Yeah. And sadly, it doesn't get talked about as much as it should. So what's really interesting is that it's starting to see popularity pick up, particularly this year, because I even posted about it on Twitter. And every time I post about it, I get someone that interacts with it. And they talk about how much they loved it. And I mean, it was a critical darling. So it has a 78% Rotten Tomato score, which is certified fresh. It got pretty good reviews. I think it got good to mixed reviews, but no bad, which is interesting, considering it was kind of an out there concept. But a lot of people related to the cast of characters, high school students, they all were very well-fleshed-out characters. I feel like it's especially poignant this year, too, since we are in the middle of a pandemic. In one of the first scenes, they're talking about on the radio that something's happening and Anna reaches up and turns the radio off. And then when they encounter their first zombie, she's like, zombies aren't real. And it just kind of feels like, oh, that's kind of what we're going through. I know, when the radio announcer came on and started talking about a pandemic with flu-like symptoms or something. I was like, oh my god, this is too close to home right now. But then when she clicks it off, it made me want to click off all the news that we have to hear. But, you know, we have to hear stuff to stay safe. But also just that willful ignorance. (laughs) High schoolers. Indeed. When you don't have to look at as much stuff. Well, because they were looking at it. It was kind of the way that we were in the beginning of this pandemic because I remember hearing about it. But I thought it was going to be like the bird flu or the swine flu, which did make it to America, but ended up getting nipped in the bud pretty quickly. Like we had death, but it wasn't near anything to what we're experiencing now. Yeah. And so 
I figured it would all blow over and it just kept amping up and getting worse and getting worse. And I'm like, surely it's going to be dipped in the bud soon. And nine months later, here we are. But yeah, actually, the day that we're recording this podcast, the first trucks left Pfizer with the vaccine and they are distributing them throughout the U.S. Okay, so this movie opens with a really fun song. Yeah, I think the music in this movie is probably my favorite thing. And then all of a sudden, when it goes to the main title card of Anna and the Apocalypse, that's when it goes like, and you get that like creepy sound yeah the bottom drops out and you start feeling that foreboding ominous like hey you're watching a movie about a zombie apocalypse because but it's gonna be fun yeah this first song is super cheery and you're like oh yeah christmas spirit let's go and then they're like but it's a zombie movie so don't forget about that yeah so we're introduced to three of our characters anna her dad And her best friend, John. Her dad's giving them a ride to school. We get a lot of exposition in the scene, but it's done really well. So you're not like, oh no, too much information. You find out that there's a Christmas event going on that night. Anna has to work because she is buying a ticket to go travel, presumably around the world, but mostly she wants to go to Australia. That's where she's starting. That's where she's going to go first and see where she ends up from there. But the big part about this is that her dad does not know, and her friend John that was in the car eating a delicious jelly donut accidentally spilled the beans on the trip. And the dad like slams on the brake, which I don't know... I seem to recall in one of the shots, there was a car behind them. And then when he slams on the brake, of course, no one's behind them. So I thought that was a funny continuity error because I was like, the car. So he slams on the brake and he is like, how stupid are you? And he is not happy because he wants her to go to university. And he tells her when they get to school, if your mother could see you now, which of course is like a slap in the face to her. And so she says, I can't wait to get away from you. And she storms off to go to school. We're introduced to our next character, Steph. She's on the phone. She's talking to her girlfriend and she says, hey, let's spend Christmas together as a couple. And clearly it's not a good conversation. And she says, I don't want to be alone. My parents have left me. They've gone to Mexico for Christmas. We never meet her girlfriend, but obviously this conversation doesn't go the way that she wants it to. And the kids bring in their gifts for the needy. It looks like a- Yeah, it looks like a toy drive that Steph is hosting. Yeah, they tumble the thing and it falls over. So Specifically, John does. Because I think something in this movie that's really funny, and it kind of was something going back to our episode um, about Black Christmas, how like all the men were kind of inept. And in this movie, it's kind of the same thing done a little bit differently because men are not equipped to handle things, but different in different types of ways. So immediately we see John is very, very clumsy because he like just runs right into this table full of presents and knocks it all down. And Steph comes over and she's like, leave it, leave it. I'll, I'll pick it up. So immediately in the beginning, I got the sense that John kind of puts his foot in it a lot. He's definitely the clumsy, but good-hearted, attractive one. Like the bumbling, good-hearted friend. He wears a Christmas jumper. And it's amazing. It is amazing. I have one very similar. Anna offers to help Steph load up the presents, and Steph's like, no, I can do this on my own. And the Yeah, Steph is immediately kind of set apart because she seems very strong, But also there's this little tiny bit of 
social awkwardness to her, but she has this, this loner tendency. Like she wants to take care of things on her own. She doesn't like to rely. Well, I don't know if she doesn't like to rely on people, but she, she feels like she can do it herself. I think she's been conditioned to rely on herself because obviously she has to because her parents live in Mexico right now and she lives in Scotland. And she's also American or American or Canadian. She's something without an accent, without a British or a Scottish Scottish accent. So she is in a, a different country without her parents having to raise herself because she's still a high school student. Yes. So probably that is some forced self-efficiency. And the principal, who is just an absolute delight, comes over and says, if your car is parked on school property, it becomes school property. And he takes her keys away. And as he's walking away, he sees these two teenagers who are making out and he goes, withdraw your tongues. And they do. But also he kills a story she's doing about the homeless in the school's blog because he says that it's going to possibly mess with funding and he wants to get the school computers. It's then that we learn that he's not actually the principal yet. He is the incoming principal because the current principal is retiring the next month. So he's basically taking to taking over because the guy's kind of just hanging out and getting gifts and not really doing his job. Savage is doing the jobs for him. But yeah, he doesn't want Steph to do this blog post about the homeless or about the homeless situation in their area because it might affect funding. And so then we get our first song. Which is my favorite. It's It's so good. Breakaway. And the lyrics I wrote down that really got to me were, Trapped in a moment, ready to fly. I gotta find my own way. Sooner or later, it all ends in goodbye. We all have to break away. And I think it's so interesting because the three main people singing on this song are Anna, Steph, and John. And they're all singing for very different reasons. We also meet Chris in this song, but I'll talk about that in a minute. But I was watching this with my husband and he characterized Breakaway as the I want song. So when you're in the musical, like the main character or characters have a song where they talk about what they want. And so that's what this is. They all want to break away or they all want to break away in some way, shape or form, or they're all singing about something they know is inevitable. So like for Anna, she wants to leave and travel and escape the mundane of her life. And Steph feels isolated. She's on her own, but she still wants to help people and expose injustice and leave her mark on the wo- the world. And that's kind of what all the kids are sing- singing about. And then in this song is kind of where we start learning about John's feelings for Anna. Like he has some deeper feelings for her more than friendship. And he's really scared about her leaving. Because he has a line, I didn't write it down, but it was like, you don't have to break away. You don't have to break away. So it's it, it feels like one of those things where we're, again, it's the I want, because he doesn't want Anna to move away, but she does want to go away. And Steph wants to do her thing. But then it's like when we meet Chris, we meet him, they're like in a, a, a film club and his teacher asked him like what do you want the world to look like because he's making all these zombie films and he is very confused by the question and he just goes more robots so we'll learn more about chris later on but he's one of our our main characters too, our supporting characters but yeah he's a big film buff and the teacher is you know wanting him to think more and go deeper with his work i also wrote down zombie in the background so there must be a part 
where there's, we see like our, just kind of a glance of our first zombie. I kind of noticed, I wonder, was that in the hallway when Anna's walking down and someone's like clawing at a bulletin board kind of? Maybe it was. I'm not sure. I didn't get zombie completely from that, but it also wasn't something that you would just see someone doing, like clawing at a a bulletin board. So I don't know for sure. Yeah. And we also learn about the dynamic with Anna's dad. He works at the school. The incoming headmaster does not like him at all. He says something about when he's done cleaning the toilets and Anna said that's not his job. And the headmaster goes, it will be soon. Like this dude, just at the beginning, you think he's just going to be like every other shitty principal, right? Yeah. Or that maybe he'll have a redemption arc at some point. But so he's just like this shitty dude that's on a power trap. And we'll get into that as we go along. But at the beginning, I just really didn't expect his character to take the turns that it did. No. And so Anna goes into the auditorium where the Christmas show is going to be performed. We find out that four more cast members have called out sick. Oh, yeah. And he's talking about hand sanitizer. He's like, you should use hand sanitizer, but not kiss each other. I can't remember the exact line. The star swings out and almost knocks him off the stage, but not quite. Yeah, he's a little too quick for that. And he's like, we have to have a talk about safety. Yeah, and everyone has to get on the stage. And Anna's like, I'm not in this. We also meet Lisa here, where she's getting her beautiful blue evening gown sewn. It's getting fitted to her, and she keeps running around, and the poor seamstress is having to chase her, like because she's ripping it every single time. But yeah, Lisa's definitely like the best friend character. I think, unlike a lot of a lot of best friend characters, they they kind of always make them a little bit annoying, like they're kind of inseparable. But I don't get that from Lisa. Like she's definitely the friend that, that she's that theater girl that we all knew and that we were at some point, some of us. Yeah. But she's not she's not insufferable, except maybe to the seamstress. And we're also introduced to Nick. Oh, oh yeah, we kind of meet him in Breakaway because him and um. And I have kind of a little glance there in the hallway. But we really see him for the first time. He approaches her and he's talking to her. And she tells him, you are a child. And he says, a sexy child. (laughs) And he goes, wait, that's not right. Or that came out wrong. We hear this sound that sounds kind of like... (sighs) 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 And we're faked out thinking, oh, we're going to start seeing the zombies now, but it's a girl who just has to use her inhaler. Yeah, this movie did a great job because immediately at the beginning, you're put on edge kind of with the ominous like title card or not even the title card itself, but just the soundscape around the title card. And then you think it's going to happen and then you are lured into this false sense of security for just a little, like you forget what you're watching. You forget you're watching a zombie musical because the zombies don't show up immediately. We're in the cafeteria now, which is a very small cafeteria. I don't know if you noticed that, but it was like, this must be a fairly small school. Um, Yeah, because you could only go up one at a time to get your lunch tray filled with your lunch. Yeah. Did you see that? (laughs) It was, yeah, it was just very, but the room itself was small. But Steph comes up to Chris and asks him if he'll go to the soup kitchen with her to do some filming because she just wants to bypass the school altogether and make a video to put up online about the homeless problem in their city. Yeah, 
I, I love Steph because she's, I think this movie in particular has very strong characters who are women. And so Steph sees the issue. She sees what the obstacle is and she's just gonna figure out a way to work, work around that. And so her way of working around it is to get Chris, the school film buff to help her film some footage so that she can get the word out. But, and this is another time where it, she seems a little bit awkward with the other kids. Like it's kind of difficult for her to relate maybe. Yeah. And she has some like parting line that something like, let's see the bastard stop us now. And everybody's just kind of like, okay. Oh, okay. And also Lisa has a line. Lisa and um, Anna have an exchange because they're talking about headmaster savage or principal savage, whatever they call him. I don't, I don't know. But Apparently he made a boy cry because he couldn't do something. I can't remember what he couldn't do. Oh, I just watched this movie. But he wasn't able to do something. And they were like, oh, so-and-so, he has a prosthetic, Anna says. And then Lisa goes, yeah, and he only has one leg. Yep. And I just thought that was so funny. And we find out that Chris and Lisa are dating because he comes and sits at the table and she's like, boyfriend. And then they just immediately start completely making out. Yes, lots of smoochies against Principal Savage's wishes, I'm sure. But again, they're such a sweet little couple. Yeah. I'm not annoyed by them at all. I think that they're adorable. Yeah, they really are. And she has on these amazing sparkly tights. Yes. And she is also one that likes to put her foot in her mouth. We start, I think Lisa knows that Nick and Anna, there there was something between them. Because she makes a comment, a kind of a disparaging comment about Nick. And then she's like, oh, but what I mean is, um, um, and then she just goes, love me and hugs Anna. She says something along the lines of like, nobody in their right mind would think he was hot or something like that. Yeah. And then she looks at Anna and she's like, well, I didn't mean nobody. And yes, but yeah, it's, it's a really, really sweet relationship. Yeah. And we get our second musical number. No such thing as a Hollywood ending. Yeah. This is, I love this because it's, it's kind of like this movie's version of it's a hard knock life, but it's for teenagers in school. Like think about it because it's a very jaded, like disillusioned song. Cause he's talking about, you know, cause at first John's singing and he kind of sees what's going on, I guess, between Nick and Anna and he's sings about it. And he's like, you know, the nice guy doesn't always get the girl. And then I'm trying, let me pull up some lyrics really quick. But do you get where I'm going with that? Yes. And Anna's also like disillusioned. But in the midst of this, we also get a verse from Chris and Lisa where they're like, but no, it's awesome. And this is what I've been waiting for. Yeah, they're the, they're the only ones because every other kid in this school is going through the same thing that Anna and John are going through, except Nick and, or except Chris and Lisa. (laughs) They're, they're the only ones. What One thing I really loved, too, is it's not just the high schoolers doing the choreography in this. There's also teachers and the lunch ladies and everybody is doing, everybody's participating in this song. Yeah, this is because, yeah, you see the lunch lady and she's kind of looking at the teachers kind of longingly. And then the teachers are kind of looking at someone and they're kind of singing the same thing. So everyone's kind of disillusioned about it. And then we get this shot of Savage singing along. I have a note that says you start to see the seams on Savage's issue. Like you start to realize like how tightly he wants to grasp power and also, you know, how much he's had to work for it or how often he's been told no. 
But yeah, I was going to try and find so it says um cuz nobody tells you when you're young, life's not like the books, the films or the songs. We've been living in a lie for far too long and we're tired of pretending. There's no such thing as a Hollywood ending. The lyrics think, in this are just great. Yeah, and I think they speak for themselves and also it's very foreshadowing of how the resolution of this film comes about. But yeah, it's like it's got incredible choreography, which did you know that the actor who plays Steph, Sarah Swire, was also the choreographer? No, I didn't. I read that in on the IMDb, and if I'm not mistaken, she was. So that's pretty cool, because they have a lot of cool group dance scenes, and a lot of um, girls with long hair doing the hairography. So much hair, which I love. Anna runs into Steph in the parking lot while she's trying to get her car unlocked, because... I mean, I wouldn't think that he could just keep her keys past school time, but apparently he did. Yeah, I am really confused on how that works because it because our students not allowed to bring cars to school. I don't know how Scotland works. Yeah, I I don't know either. But um. Oh, quickly backtracking on what I said, Sarah Swire was the choreographer. She's very talented. Yeah, so she's doing all these really cool group numbers because I that's one thing that stood out is I thought the choreography was really good for these numbers. And a little bit different, too. It was, it's a little, it's I don't know a, exactly. It's got a little bit of like an interpretive feel to it. Yeah, and it, it's not like Rodgers and hammerstein Mm-mm. It reminded me of Andy Blakenship's choreography in Hamilton. Ah, I can see that. Yeah, there. so it was a little of that. So Anna runs into Steph while she's trying to get her car unlocked, and they have this exchange where Steph says something like, well, at least you, your mom isn't on you all the time and of course this upsets Anna and she storms off and bumps into this guy who as he turns around we see he is a zombie (gasps) no yes again this is like one of those callbacks that I feel the audience needs because you forget you are watching a zombie film in the beginning right because it just feels like a coming of age story at Christmas yeah Yeah. and I mean almost forget the Christmas a little bit too except for the decorations and so we see Anna and John at their job they work at the bowling alley and it's it's a slow night but there's a there's a stag party there that are having a great time in their matching sweatshirts yes John is talking about how he is dressed like a festive legend (laughs) which is the name of our custom cocktail for this episode which is a mulled wine you can either do it yourself or if you're like me you do the lazy version where you buy the wine already made it is a sparkling soda i used seven up lemonade a splash of orange juice and garnish it with an orange slice it is very refreshing yum and if you don't have lemonade you could probably just do a squeeze of fresh lemon Mm -hmm. well the same with the orange too just do some fresh citrus and it really brings out the kind of citrusy tones in the the mold wine. Oh yeah, doubling back on John really quick. I think we kind of glossed over in the beginning because when Anna and John are in the car with her dad, they're talking about university for Anna and her dad brings up for John, he's like, "Have you heard back from your art school?" and he goes, "Not yet." And he's like, "Is that normal?" And Anna's like, dad. So that's again kind of hearkening back to him being afraid of Anna moving away because he doesn't know where his future's going. 
Oh, that's very true. Yeah, so it's like she knows what she's going to do. She knows she's she's going to go traveling for a year and have that gap year before she goes to university. And he wants to go to this art school, but it's still undetermined if he's going to get to. So there's a lot of uncertainty for John. And you know, one thing that we don't get in this movie, which usually happens, is like there's no scene of him in art class or him working on a painting or anything. No, it's very centralized on what's happening in that day. And it mostly focuses on Anna and Steph, I would say. Yeah. So yeah, no no um, ballad whilst painting for John. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut between them at work and the talent show. Yes. Oh my God. The penguin rap is the, the greatest thing penguins. ever. <laughs> I was going to ask you, would you by chance be interested in getting some penguin costumes and learning that and performing it for I don't know who. People but- on the street. We could just get it, know it, have it in the can, and just, like, ready for when we need uh, a musical number. Definitely 100%. Like, if I'm going to have a, what do they call it, a repertoire, that needs to be in it. I mean, it's so good. It's, I can't, I didn't write down the lines, unfortunately, but... <laughs> Hold on, I want to pull them up. Anna's dad is running the lights, and the headmaster is up there, too. And Anna's dad said, well, at least they're trying. And the headmaster goes, very. Very. Hold on, I'm trying to find the fish wrap. Oh, here it is. So my favorite dish is fish, Mother Flipper. I eat it for the hell of it. A nice bit of halibut. That's not not the only fish they got. Mackerel, mackerel. I don't remember how it goes at all. It is the most delightful thing ever. Also, these are the kids that are running down the hallway and he, at sa- earlier, and Savage go- yells at them to go, get back on stage. And then they just kind of like bow their heads and dejectedly walk back to the gymnasium. <laughs> so I'm just like, and he's talking about how much they've had to rehearse. So I'm like, Savage, why are you so emotionally invested in these kids' fish wrap as penguins? Like, is this your deal? Did you write this? Like, what's your stock in this? What's your skin in this game? Yeah, because he says something about, like, a month of lunchtime rehearsals. Yeah, and he's like, it still didn't make any difference. It's like, why do you care? Did he direct the rap? Is it from his original musical about penguins? It could be. Had he invited funders, potential donors, to see this and, and these kids fucked it up? I don't know. I thought they did a pretty good job, honestly. I thought it was so funny. Oh, my God. But no. And then after the Penguins, we get Lisa's Christmas song that she was very insistent Chris make it back for because, remember, he had to go film with Steph. And he promised her he would be back to sit with his grand and watch her Christmas song about Santa. But alas, he isn't there. It starts off as just kind of a regular-ish song, and then it gets sexy real fast. Shall I read some of the lyrics? Yes. So it says, um, I'm feeling so blue. There's a lack of presence in my stocking and my chimney needs a good unblocking. Come on, Santa dear. I've been waiting for you. Let me tell you if you're feeling frozen stiff, my fire is burning hot for you. Before you take a nap, let me sit on your lap. There's only one gift that I want to unwrap. And she has this chorus line of like eight kind of sexy Santas come out. I say kind of because I think they're high school guys. Well, they're like. They're like knockoff Magic Mike high school boys. Yeah. They're they're like in, you know, red boxers with like tinsel draped around them with Santa hats and candy canes. Yeah. And they do some kind of suggestive dance moves. 
it's overall fairly tame, but you know, for the high school talent show. I mean, if I, I don't know, because it's like, I think a lot of people, I think for kids and particularly doing that song, I think people would catch on and the audience definitely did. And they're just kind of like, um, wow. And Anna's dad is laughing. He thinks it's hysterical and Savage is pissed. He even goes to, so far as to say he's going to kill her. Gran is out in the audience and she's just giving the thumbs up and she's so excited. We love queens supporting queens. But she does get a standing ovation when it's over. Yeah, I'm like, it might have been inappropriate, but it probably was the best number of the evening. So people were like, thank God. Uh, I don't know, that fish wrap. I know, I know. But you know, people don't always recognize talent in its time. Sometimes it has to be 50 or 25 years or something. I don't know why I said it like that. 25 or 50 years before an artist becomes popular. That's true. So, you know, maybe in 25 years, people will start appreciating the fish wrap. And yeah, our our headmaster is PO'd to say the least. And he's walking down the hall and somebody is banging on one of the door, the emergency doors to the school. And he is like, stop that now. Yeah, he is like on a very thin line, like of with his patience. And so he opens the door and there's nobody out there, but then when the door closes, we see blood smeared all over it. And also, the door doesn't close all the way. No. So, did he see the blood? I don't think he did. Okay, because I wasn't sure. But yeah, what does he call her song? He calls it something something salacious filth. Oh yeah, he just keeps going, filth, filth. Because Carl said, because he has like a string of words and then says filth. It's like something salacious vulgar filth and Carl was like that's what I'm gonna say every time I don't like something now (laughs) back at the bowling alley they're cleaning up and somebody's left some shoes on the floor so Anna takes a broom like hockey pucks one into the shoe bin this is just like a a preface of her ability (laughs) a pre-zombie yeah, and John picks up the other one and puts his hand over his eyes and he throws it and he He hits the cleaning lady (laughs) <laughs> completely in the back of the head. She's concussed. And they so, go and they make snow angels in the park. And he's oh like, I've lost my job. And they're trying to, throughout the course of this, they've been trying to remember the names of all Santa's reindeer. I love this line. And he tells a joke about Olive the reindeer because all of the other reindeer used to laugh and call Rudolph names. And they're like, Olive was a jerk. <laughs> but no, and we get to hear a little bit about Anna too, because she's talking about her, how her and her dad would compete to make the best snow angel. And her mom would judge when she was a kid and they stopped doing it after she died. She's kind of letting, we're getting again, just a little bit more backstory on her. And so we'll take a minute here to talk about the writer, Ryan McHenry. Yeah, so it's such an interesting story with him. So sadly, he passed away in 2015. Um, from cancer. No, so Ryan McHenry originally wrote the short film zombie musical that was the BAFTA-nominated short film that this movie was based on. But he also became very famous on Vine. Remember Vine? Oh, Vine. So he had this gimmick where he would attempt to feed a shot of Ryan Gosling cereal on screen. But he would always have it on a shot where he like put his hand up or like turned ar- turned away and it was called Ryan 
won't eat his cereal or Ryan Gosling won't eat his cereal. And it became super, super popular on Vine because this guy would just time it up perfectly and they were so funny. Like there was one of Ryan Gosling and he brought the spoonful of cereal up to the screen and he did something with his hand, like waved his hand back and forth and the guy like slapped the spoon back and forth and knocked the Cheerios out. It was so funny. But after he passed away, Ryan Gosling himself acknowledged the video series and did a vine of him eating the cereal, like as a, memor- a memoriam to Ryan McHenry. Oh, wow. Yeah. The internet is a strange and wonderful place. Yeah, I could not believe that because I followed him way back a million years ago when Vine was a thing and I saw all of those. I had no idea he wrote a movie. And like I said, this film was released after he passed away and was dedicated in his memory. But yeah. Did he write any other movies? Let me look up really quick. So he was from Dumfries, Scotland. But let's see what he wrote. He did some acting. It seemed more like extra work, but he wrote Anna and the Apocalypse, a short called Toast, Zombie Musical, which was another short. And then he did a lot of um, camera and electrical department work. So he worked as an assistant camera, a second assistant camera, things like that. So it seems like he had kind of a good resume going for him and he kept doing new things. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to complete any more projects. How old was he when he died? He he was 27 when he passed away. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah he was just starting his career, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sadly, he did pass away. But we have this wonderful musical that he wrote. So now we are on to the next day. Anna wakes up. She's late. She has on these amazing penguin onesie pajamas. I know. They look so warm. And as she's dashing out the door to get ready, she's like, oh, forgot my advent calendar. Let me get my candy. Which makes me so sad because advent calendars were out everywhere this year. So I didn't get us one. I know. But it just made me happy that like, I know that was in there. I like the observation of the advent calendar. But of course, she can't forget her music. And You know, Anna's feeling pretty positive today. So she has a really peppy song that she's singing called Turning My Life Around. Yes. And this is shot so amazing because all this chaos is going on behind her. And this song is just so upbeat and happy. It's like very start fresh, full of hope. Like we're going to take on the day. We're going to have a new lease on life. Meanwhile, right behind her, people are running out of their house, being chased by zombies, falling out of windows, backing up into cars like it's complete chaos. And she misses everything. So let me read you my notes as I was watching this upbeat song while she doesn't notice the zombies all around. Fuck, one eats a baby. Oh, yeah, that was gross. Like I did not expect that. I mean, thankfully, we don't see the baby being eaten, but we get the insinuation because the zombie's eating something out of a pram. Yeah, well, there was a lady and she ran, the zombie chased her off and the pram fell over. And then, yeah, we see a shot of the zombie's head in the pram and it's like, oh, jeez. So it's like, while this movie is really funny and lighthearted in ways, it, it, it goes dark real quick, like very disturbing imagery. She's dancing through the graveyard and her and John meet up and they've got this fun little duet and they're dancing and spinning. Yeah, because he takes on, so she has like the first verse and then he has the second verse and they're both just peppy and ready to take on the day and they meet up and they're dancing. And I love it when he's running 
to meet her in the graveyard and he just falls and then stands right back up and keeps on singing and yeah. <laughs> The song ends and you see this guy in a snowman costume walking up to him. And he just collapses. And then when he raises his head up, like the snowman face is gone and it's just this bloody nasty zombie face. It's really scary. Also, can we talk about the speed of that bag slapped across his face? There was no pause. It was like that guy raised up and her bag was right across his head. Oh yeah. She was her instincts were just cat-like. They're trying to they're like what's happening and John is going mate 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 and she's like that's not doing any good. She so she's like yeah that's it call him mate one more time. So she knocks his head off with a seesaw. Yeah, I wrote down I I said Anna's survival skills are impressive cuz she decapitates a zombie with a seesaw. Yeah. Meanwhile, John is standing, sprayed with blood, screaming. And the zombie's head is still alive. It's just laying on the ground going like, I appreciated the follow through on that because there's so many zombie movies when you see the zombie get decapitated or whatever. And they just, they're unanimated or inanimated. They're not animated anymore. But the thing is with zombie, they're the undead. So unless the head is completely destroyed, the head will keep on being animated yeah and it's still in the snowman costume. yeah so it's just like blah, 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 just like making gross sounds and so john is freaking the f out understandably but anna's almost in a like denial and really really calm and she's just like get she's just acting like john is just overreacting yeah this is when she said there's no such thing as zombies and they have no phone signal and they say, okay, well, maybe things won't be so bad across town. So they go, I don't know if they're like standing in front of City Hall or what, but the Christmas tree there is just on fire. And John's eating a banana. And yeah. Anna just looks at him and he goes, what? Potassium. But no, somebody says, be assured the government will sort this all out. Yeah. And I wrote, ha ha ha, crying face. Yeah. Because do we cut to the school at this point? Yes. Because we kind of get to see where everyone's at, like where everyone's at when the discovery of the zombies happens. So Anna and John are together downtown watching a Christmas tree burn. The peop- there are people at school, Savage, Anna's dad, John's mom, um, Lisa, and Chris's gran are there. And they're all like grabbing things and supplies and Savage just tries to like lay down the law. And make people listen to him. And they kind of begrudgingly do so. But yeah, he's like, we have a government. We're right by a military base. This will all be fine. And he also says, I've set up an office adjacent to the fridge. Yes, because everyone knows we need to prioritize where your office is. I don't know why that just made me laugh a lot. Because he's trying to establish himself as a leader, as as the one in charge. But after we go to the school, then we're in the bowling alley again. And we're with Steph and Chris, who somehow are in the bowling alley now. Real quick, one thing before we leave the school. We find out that Gran has a bad heart. Yes, yes. And she needs her medication. And uh, Lisa says something to her, like, we'll get someone to help. And she goes, doctors can't fix it. I don't think your teachers can do much more. And so, yeah, then we go to the bowling alley um, because John still has his keys. They sneak in. Yeah, they're met by Steph and Chris, who are ready to, you know, take their heads off. 
yeah, they're like ready to fight. And then Chris is like, oh, it's our friend. Hi, guys. And Steph is like, have you been bitten? So it's so funny because she's she's like, stay there. Stay where you are. Prove to me that you aren't infected. And Chris is like, they're fine and like runs up to hug them. So <laughs> Chris and John are sitting in this little inflatable ball pit. Yeah, I guess that was the bowling alley's attempt at a ball pit. <laughs> And they're having this conversation about different celebrities. I love it so much. And I like this Ryan Gosling tie-in because they say, what about Ryan Gosling? And one of them says, alive or dead, that guy is still cool. Yeah, and then, yeah, I like the tie-in of that because of Ryan McHenry, so I'm sure that was something he added in. But then they talk about Taylor Swift. They're like, do you think Taylor Swift's okay? And John's like, why would you say that? Tay-Tay's fine. And like, just like super upset that they would even think that anything happened to Taylor Swift. The girls are in the bathroom having a conversation and they hear a strange noise and it's the cleaning lady. Miss Hinsman. And she's completely zombified. Steph just obliterates her head with a toilet seat. I know that's I was like these girls have such strong survival skills because it there is no hesitation and I love that there is no hesitation they're very equipped for this and there's no explanation why they just are do you know what I mean yeah yeah we don't need to get a backstory of like oh they took karate until they were 15 or something like that or it's like just most people don't know this but I survived in the woods or like I don't know yeah I've been training for the amazing race for the last year or something no, they're just, they're two high school aged women or girls that can take care of themselves and kick ass. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. So there's a hole in the wall of the bathroom with a sign that says, don't touch wall. And then this stag party from the night before just bursts through the wall and they're all zombies too. Yeah, because we didn't realize that they were still there because at this point, the group has been in the bowling alley for a little bit. They must have been in there, come back in or gotten back in after they got kicked out the night before because they got kicked out of the bowling alley by Anna and John and they were all super drunk. Guess they wandered around, got bit, bit and came back. The stag party, they start to fight the stag party Anna and Steph do and they go out and rejoin Chris and John who are very much like, what do we do? What do we do? And Chris is like, destroy the head. And John kills a zombie in the coolest way. He takes two bowling balls and just smashes the zombie's head between the two bowling balls. thought that was a bit of genius right there. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And somehow one of the zombies gets their head knocked off and it goes, it like bowls around and then comes back up in the ball return. Yes. And also something I really loved is one of the zombies touches Steph's chest. And at that point, she had been struggling to kill this zombie. And it touches her chest, and she just fucking loses it. And is like, don't fucking touch me! And just, like, smacks him and stabs him through the head with a spatula. Yeah, I wrote that down, too. Damn! Okay. And, yeah, so they fight off these zombies. We go outside. They don't go outside, but we see that there is destruction in the streets. Mm Mm-hmm. And we go back to the school. Lisa goes up to the headmaster and says, we need to do something for Gran. Oh, I hate this. And he says, well, in times like this, we prioritize. Yeah, he goes, what does civilization on on the edge do? Do when it's on the edge. And Lisa goes, help people? And Savage goes, they prioritize. 
And so it's like then we start to see the seams unravel on him. Like we start to see the true nature of him start coming out. And the power goes out. Mm-hmm. And there's no service on the phones. But we do see that Anna's dad is safe at the school. Yes. And we get this really beautiful ballad that the whole group sings. And not just the group of kids at the bowling alley, but the group at the school. Like the survivors sing. And it's a very much like a reality set is setting in. Because as they're hiding out from these zombies, they can see from the school that the military is starting to bomb the town. And it's also supposed to be that everybody was supposed to meet at the school and the army was going to come and evacuate everyone. And the army does not come. Right. And yeah, this is this is a beautiful song, but it's also heartbreaking. It's called Human Voice. And there's a line that they have. It says something about, I lay my head down on my pillow and I pray that things will be different. Or I can't remember exactly what it is, yeah, but I'm pulling it, up. it just, it hit, it hit me. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I lay my head on my pillow and pray that someday we'll talk in that old fashioned way. I can't, I can hear a sound coming through it, through in waves and it feels so real. Yeah. And it's and I think this song is particularly poignant for for us now going through this pandemic because a lot of times we are devoid of that connection. I, I think people now especially can relate to that. So that might be why it's hitting home a little bit. Yeah. So they they make it through the night, they sleep in the ball pit under the balls. I guess to hide. I don't know that the plastic balls would keep the zombies from finding them, but I mean, it's good ideas any. Yeah, but they all decide they need to get to the school. Right. But they look outside and they see that the army is now all zombies. So, so they're like, shit. There's nobody coming. The great idea that somebody comes up with, I don't remember who, but they put the ball pit over them and walk outside. Cause I, and I love this part because... Oh, go, go ahead and say what you were going to say first. Well, I don't know if they think that the zombies won't notice them. Or, or like it's a shield, or if they don't look humanoid, then the zombies will leave them alone. I don't know. It, it works out pretty well, but I, I don't know what the idea is behind it. I, I guess it's some kind of line of defense, I'm guessing. Like a like a turtle shell. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. But... Chris is like, we should play a game to take our minds off the fact that we're walking through zombie-infested streets. So he's like, hey, Steph, Mary Shag Kill, Zombie Miley, Zombie Rihanna, and Zombie Beyonce. And Steph's first response is, kill them all, they're zombies. And I just wrote in my notes, Steph is a Capricorn. <laughs> yeah. Because that is the most Capricorny answer I've ever heard. But then she comes back and who does she say she she would marry zombie Beyonce? Yes. And they're like, does that mean you'd kill zombie Miley? But they, they like drop to the ground and they put the ball pit over them. So they're hiding under it. And they look out underneath it and they're like, oh, there's old people. And this old lady zombie sits on Steph. Like she sits on the on the on the pool, the inflatable pool, but right on Steph's head and starts peeing. Yeah. And the way Steph handles that also ensures to me that she is a Capricorn because it's very much like, what the fuck? Is she pissing? Is she pissing? 
And like, you can just see the wheels turning. She's trying to figure out what to do and she cannot figure it out. So she's just like, the fuck, what the fuck? But then like a half chewed up zombie while Anna's peeking through on the other side to see if it's clear, sees her and starts like slowly crawling towards her. And so they're like, oh shit, we're spotted, we're done for. And then all of a sudden there's like, all this blood on top of the, they can see it cut. Cause the, the ball pit is like a light blue color, but it's kind of foggy. So you can't see through it, but they can see that there's all this blood on top of it and something's happening outside. And then all of a sudden the inflatable pool is flipped off of them and they are thrust into the daylight. Yep. And it's Nick and his group of mates. Yes. They have been a hunting. And let's take a break there real quick and talk about our leading lady, Ella Hunt. Let's do it. And I think something that's really interesting about the women, our leading women, so uh, it would be Ella Hunt, Sarah Swire, and Marley Siu, is Ella Hunt definitely has the most credits, but they're fairly still up-and-coming actors. Like, they haven't done that much. Hmm. So I thought that was really interesting because I really liked all of them. Yeah, they all have great singing voices. They all did a fantastic job in this movie. Like, this is one of the more emotional zombie movies I've ever seen, and they play a range of emotions very well. Oh, yeah. I And I think it's because of the actors and their choices that it is so emotional. And, you know, anytime it's a bunch of badass women fully equipped and handling, you know, a rough hand that's been dealt to them, I love that. And I love the vulnerability they infuse into it. So let's talk about Ella Hunt. So Ella was born in Devon, England, and she grew up on an organic farm. So her mother is a sculptor and a former actress. Her name's Louise. And her father, David, is an art dealer. She has done a few things. Um, She was in a movie with Ben Kingsley, and the name is escaping me. Let me look it up really quick. But she was in a movie with Ben Kingsley. I'll look that up. We'll put it in the show credits if it's important. And then let's see what else. She appeared as a turning woman in Les Miserables in 2012. And so if you aren't familiar with Les Mis, the turning women are at the end and they're kind of cleaning up the aftermath of the battle where all of these people were killed. So it's a really haunting, beautiful song that they sang. So she was one of those women, but she's currently appearing on Apple TV Plus's Dickinson, which is an American historical comedy drama about Emily Dickinson. And she is appearing as Sue Gilbert. I've heard that's a really good show. I want to watch that because that kind of has all of my things. So I need to look into that. And then um, Ella's also a singer-songwriter. And she announced she was working on an album in 2019. But so far, no material has been released for that as far as I could find. But I would love to see that and love to hear that album. She is inspired by women like Reese Witherspoon and Margot Robbie who have started their own production companies. And she hopes to produce and direct her own films one day. Nice. And then she is admittedly extremely clumsy, especially with food, and somehow once sat in a plate of stir fry. I was trying to look up some stuff on Sarah Swire, and there's not, like, she doesn't have a Wikipedia. You're right, she doesn't have a ton of credits. A lot of them are shorts or, like, Mm -hmm. one episode in a TV series. She seems to work with the creators of Anna the Anna and the Apocalypse because I was noticing a few similar credits between her and some of the director and writers. 
Um, so she must work with them somewhat. And again, she did choreograph this whole movie. So that's pretty cool. So I wonder if she maybe just has some uncredited choreography work. But she does have an Instagram, so we you can go follow her on Instagram. And maybe a Twitter? A Twitter? Sometimes on Twitter it's hard to tell. Yeah, she does have a Twitter. It looks like she might be Canadian. Oh, cool. Yeah. She is a Canadian actor, musician, writer, and choreographer based in Toronto. She has worked extensively in the UK. Okay, cool. So she wasn't, when I said earlier she was American, I misspoke, obviously. Oh, she trained at the Royal Conservatory in Scotland. Where are you finding this? This is on Infinity Artist Management. Okay, so that must be where she met... The creators. That's what I'm assuming, because they filmed in Scotland, so she must have, you know, gone to an audition because she was living there. Yeah, I didn't realize that this is technically a Scottish film, because it was filmed in Scotland, and I believe the characters are supposed to be Scottish. So interesting. Yeah, I believe it was filmed in Glasgow. That sounds right. Let me look it up. I have the songs in my head. I just want to keep singing them. Filmed in Port Glasgow, Scotland. Yes, indeed. Where... Well, my guess, Scotland. Wow, thank you. I know. I spent... I'm very astute. I spent a week in Scotland in 2016. I was in Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival, which is incredible and so overwhelming. I want to take you and Carl so bad one day. What's so funny is the year after you went, one of our favorite drag queens, Courtney Act, did a one-woman show there. That's fun. I mean, there's so many different shows, and there's good stuff, and there's bad stuff, and there's weird stuff, and there's amazing stuff, and there's people performing all over the streets, and it it is the most chaotic energy I have ever been a part of. Ah, uh, theater. Actors, creators. Yeah. All of that creative energy coming together at once. Couldn't be anything but chaotic. They were doing some sort of Game of Thrones parody musical. And so there was this really skinny dude in like a nude unitard with a merkin and a long blonde wig on. I guess he was Cersei. Um mm. And he was parading around the streets and people, he had like other actors like yelling at him and stuff and they were handing out flyers and it was like, this about sums it up. No, that sounds about right. So we were following this drag queen that did their show in Edinburgh, the Fringe Festival, and they went to another performance artist show and that artist was doing Pussy Prince, which I will let you figure that one out because it's pretty self-explanatory but it involved paint paper and something else an anatomy an anatomy yes a part of the body and they would give out prints of it as part of the performance yep that sounds about right so i was like well goddamn, that sounds austin almost i was like when you when you went to that one show at the was it the velveta room back when the velveta room was still a thing oh yeah and the lady did the one thing. I didn't get to witness that, thankfully, but I heard about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were there. No, yeah. no. <sighs> thankfully. I mean, not that there's anything wrong per se, but she put lollipops between both of, uh, one on each foot, like held them with her toes. And then she had two guys like stand behind her and then she like leant back. And put the lollipops in their mouth, but she wasn't wearing any underwear or anything, so she showed everybody everything. 
And it's like, that's fine. Go off. But I'm just wondering what the performance aspect of it was. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Because that's all of the story that, I mean, obviously we have. But I'd be so interested to know, like, in the context of the show, what did that mean? Yeah, was there more to go with it or was that all? Yeah, or was it just like, look, I'm hella flexible. <laughs> yeah. So, um, something to think about. But anyway, go to Scotland if you get a chance. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I want to spend more time there. I want to go to Scotland so bad. I am, as you know, an avid TikToker. And there are all these people that post about Scotland and landscape in Scotland and how gorgeous it is. And I just really want to go there. There's this amazing museum in Glasgow that I want to take dad to that. There's just motorcycles all over the walls. Oh, dang. And then there's like an old timey boat out back that you can go on and it's all free. What's the museum? Is it just like motorcycle and boat museum? It's it's a, a lot of transportation stuff, but then they also had like some vintage clothes and they had these little, not little rooms, but like these streets you could walk down that were set up like a street in the 1800s and a street in the 1900s and it was just it was amazing oh my gosh that sounds so cool yeah and they had a they had airplanes and um cars and it was yeah it was just really amazing and it was free yes my god a lot of the museums in the uk are free i know they're doing something right but anyway back to our featured presentation yeah, so we, we meet back up with the group, and so they have just had the inflatable pool pulled off their heads, they're in the sunlight, they are exposed, and who is there but Nick and his buddies, they have gone zombie hunting. So they are thriving in this environment, because they are killing zombies and looting stores. Yeah. So they have shopping carts full of supplies and full of things, and yeah, they kill all the zombies. It didn't make it into this cut. I don't know if it's in one of the other cuts because there's actually three cuts of Anna and the Apocalypse. Really? Um, yeah, there are three different versions. And I know UK has one and there's another one. But the US one is a little bit shorter and had some songs removed. And I don't know if they took it out of the script for all of the versions or if it was just the US version. But in one version of the script, Nick had bullied John as children. And kind of throughout their life. So that kind of explains the hostile nature of their relationship and why John hates Nick so much. Because he, he's an asshat, but you don't really see him really do any... Oh, no, you do see him do something to John and break away. He writes on his face with a pen. But they were just going to further solidify like why that hostility was there. But you get to see it again in this scene because they are just like... John is flipping him off, mouthing fuck you, and Nick is taking every opportunity to get a dig in about John and, like, emasculate him. But Nick does have, and this, okay, so I don't know if you know this, but this musical was heavily influenced by a couple different musicals, but one in particular was the Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical, which aired in season six, called Once More with Feeling. And so this movie was really inspired by that. And so a lot of the show, like if you watched the Buffy episode and then come and watch this movie, it kind of follows the same trajectory song cycle-wise, if that makes sense. And... This song kind of reminded me of a song that a character in in Buffy sang, but it's a little bit different. But I called this the egocentric, what did I call this? I called it the egocentric badass song. 
Yeah, because he says, while you've been hiding, I've been kicking some ass. Yeah. Also, Steph makes some kind of remark about his dad, like kind of an underhanded remark. Um, And he goes off on her and is like, don't talk about my dad. And it's really like intense and really aggressive. So and you're like, whoa, whoa, okay. So you don't really know why yet, but you can just see that he's very, very sensitive about the dad comment. Well, because she says, your dad's in the army. Where's your dad? Yeah, and he's like, he's at, he went to the base. So she goes, I'm sorry. So that leads you to believe they don't know what happened to him. Yeah, but this is this song, like a pump-up song. Yeah, this one's called Soldier at War. And in the whole thing, he's just bludgeoning zombies and doing really cool walking choreography with his boys. Yeah. Where they're like walking and like super cool and holding their weapons and they're facing the zombies. Then he hits a high note and then he bashes one's head in. And then I wrote down zombie penguins. So I think we're outside the school and we see that the the rapping penguins have been turned into zombies. Yeah, the rapping penguins are not eating fish. They are eating flesh. Oh, and this is when the headmaster starts to have a meltdown. No, this is when the, when Savage starts completely unraveling because Anna's dad and other members of the of the group at the school want to leave. Do you re- remember where they want to go? But they're no. like, the military is not coming. We need to get out. They want to find their families yeah, if anybody's and, still out there. And Savage is like, no, that's not what the protocol is. That's not what I said to do. And they're like, well, fuck you. We're not doing what you say. And, and he, he just loses his mind. He tells Anna's dad, you're just a fucking janitor. Yeah. He lets the zombies into the school. He says, this is my school. Yeah. And it's very much the, if I can't be in charge, no one can be in charge energy. It's like, if you're not doing it my way, then you don't get away. Yes. And then we're scary. Yeah. We're back to Anna and them and John is pushing Anna in one of the empty shopping carts and she tells him or he says at least you're not going anywhere now mm-hmm. and she goes John you know you're my best friend and she goes no you are my best friend friend emphasizing the friend yeah and she's like no I'm still gonna travel and you're gonna go to art school and I love this line he says Yeah, abstract impressionists are really important right now. (laughs) Yes, he hasn't lost his sense of humor. But somebody has this brilliant idea. I think it's Nick. Yeah, it's it's Nick. They want to take a shortcut. Through this Christmas tree warehouse. And of course it's dark. Perfect zombie hiding places. And Nick, of course, is being like, yeah, it's it's fine. I can protect us. And just this extreme hubris, if you will. He's, like, taking every opportunity to scare people. Meanwhile, Chris is, like, videoing all of this on his phone. He's recording everything. And Anna's taking this time to really get into the spirit of things. She finds a candy cane out there, a large candy cane with this big spike on the end. And we have our favorite weapon of the whole movie. Yes. And Nick's friends get zombified pretty quick into this process. Well, because they're all walking along and it's quiet. They're in this warehouse of trees And then this Mrs. Claus doll makes a sound. And then all of a sudden, all these zombies jump out and just start 
eating Nick's boys. Yeah, so they're running. They're trying to get away. They end up... Steph saves Chris because he dropped his phone. He had to go back for it. He almost got eaten, but she saved him. Yeah, she ends up getting a mannequin leg to use as her weapon. And as they're finally getting out and it looks like everything's gonna be okay and he names all the reindeer yeah john remembers all the reindeer and he kind of flings his hand out in a grand gesture and a zombie grabs his hand and rips the back of it off that was so heartbreaking because you were just like no you were really rooting for these these kids to to make it out so that was so heartbreaking and just the realization on their faces because Anna's with him and he says you'll think of something you usually do it's annoying and so he wraps his arms around her and uses his body as a shield to get her out and then lets the zombies take him yeah and it's I feel like we can't even go into enough description to say how heartbreaking and sad that scene is. But it's so well done by the whole cast. Just the look on his face as he's being carried away by this horde of zombies, her face, just everything. It was such a good scene, but also like I don't ever want to watch it again. So we're down now to Steph, Chris, Anna, and Nick. Yeah. Oh, and also something that needs to be said is this infection spreads rapidly. So when a victim is bit, they are turned within a matter of minutes because Nick's friends, literally before they're out of the building, are already turned into zombies. Yes. But And then something really beautiful happens too. And I think, again, this is just establishing these, these female roles as these really strong, holding the group together kind of, kind of roles is um, Steph because Anna loses her goddamn mind when John sacrifices himself for her. And she is just pounding on Nick's chest and just wanting to hurt him because, and I mean, well, the way I look at it too, like the way he behaved got John killed because he was joking off or joking around. Yes. He didn't have to take that shortcut. There were just a lot. Of, I'm not going to blame it all on him because I know he didn't mean it, but his actions led to that happening. They, it was a direct consequence. Steph really quickly snaps into action, grabs Anna, And it's like, your dad is waiting at the school. We need to go get him. And snaps her out of her grief just long enough to get them moving. And then Anna just channels everything she has just been through into annihilating zombies. Like, they don't even get close to her. She just is taking them down left and right. Yeah, and as they get into the school, the headmaster is right there eating. At the check-in desk, at his office. Yeah. They go, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm eating my Christmas dinner. It's so, like, I think Savage, you know what? I'm going to save my thoughts until this next part. Go ahead. Go ahead. And he goes, you are very lucky children because your parents almost left. And so he takes them to the cafeteria where everybody that's still in the cafeteria is either a zombie or or currently being eaten by zombies. And he locks them in there. And then he has this amazing villain song. Yeah, the song is called Nothing's Gonna Stop Me Now. And it's, I called it the vil- villain realization song. Like he woke up to his evil genius. But yeah, so he not only killed these, these kids' families, like the remaining people left in there, but he then locks these kids 
in with their zombified and currently being eaten relatives. Go ahead. He tells them, I've been calling you all zombies for years. Now fuck off. I think he may be one. I said one of the worst villains, but then I didn't think that said it. So if he's one of the best worst villains that I've ever seen because there's nothing redeeming. There's nothing that you're like, oh yeah, but they're kind of cool. Like, you know how villains sometimes just can have a swagger or an air about him, them. Like he has none of that. He is just evil, rotted to the core, just a bad human. Yeah, he doesn't even have like a good haircut or neat glasses or anything. Like literally nothing. He just is a gross human. They get out of this room, but they're still trapped in the school with all these zombies. Chris tells Steph, whatever happens, you've got us. Because she's like, everybody still has somebody except me. Yeah, they have this really beautiful moment where they like, he like lets her know she won't be alone. And they find Lisa and Gran in a storeroom, but... And Lisa's okay. She's not a zombie. Yeah, Lisa's okay, but Gran, her heart gave out when they were getting away from the zombies. And she died. But Chris says at least she isn't one of them. Yeah. This is when we find out, too, that what happened to Nick's dad is he killed him. His dad got bit by a zombie and he handed him the bat and said, for once in your life, don't disappoint me. Yeah, because right after this scene with Chris and Lisa and Steph, we go to this scene between Anna and Nick and we find out a little bit more about their relationship and what happened. And then about what Nick has been masking this whole time with bravado, frankly, because he's experienced this horrific trauma. So not only... Did he have to kill his father? He watched all of his best friends be killed and turned into zombies. And he clearly had a difficult relationship with his dad if his dad's parting words were, for once, don't disappoint me. Yeah, he very much gives the vibe of of like he was always trying to please his father. And so he distracts the zombies so that Anna can get out and go find her dad. Yeah, because they find them and and he... says, you know, go. And she goes, no, we stay together. He literally pushes her to the ground and just starts going, here, zombies, here, zombies. And you're like, oh my God, this kid is, you know, maybe we've judged him wrong. And so you don't, you don't know if he's, you don't know if he'll make it. And so in this scene, he's sacrificing himself so Anna can get out. And Steph's going to go get the keys to her car. She knows the headmaster keeps him in his office. And she does this really good, like, spy crawling gets past all the zombies that are in the teacher's lounge or wherever they are. Right. And we realize, like, as she's crawling through, that the zombies are distracted by things that are shiny or bright. Yeah. Because they get distracted by the tinsel, and she's able to crawl through and get to the office. And she's doing fine, and then she finds in the confiscated items a vibrator and accidentally turns it on and, like, drops it and goes, yuck, and... That alerts the zombies to her, and they all start heading for the door to the office. And so you see her put on her backpack, and she opens the door. And you're like, "Oh my god, she's gonna get, she's gonna get eaten. She's she's dead. She's dead." And then you realize that Lisa and Chris have snuck into the the teachers' lounge and put the video that Chris has been recording this whole time on the screen. So they're all watching the TV, but Lisa and Chris are trapped behind the TV. So Steph's just looking at them and she's like, crawl out, crawl out. So they start crawling out 
but as they're on the floor, just about to get out, or just in the thick, they're like all between the zombies. The TV goes out, and the zombies realize that there are humans in there. So they both get bit. But what makes it so sad is they get bit. So Steph fights her way out, stabbing zombies in the face, and and is sit, and is get on her way out. But Chris and Lisa get bit. But what's so sad is immediately after they get bit, the TV turns back on. So you're like, oh my God, if they had just made it just a few minutes more, the zombies wouldn't have bit them. They would have gone back to being distracted by the TV. But what this allows is Lisa and Chris then are not eaten by the zombies. They just are bit and they're just stuck there in that room. And he asks her what she thinks of the movie that he's made and she... She said she loves it. The thing, this is one of those moments too, it was so beautiful and poignant and human, but it's so sad, is the little exchange between between Chris and Steph. There's just this small little wave. And it's so inconsequential the way that it's done. Do you know what I mean? That it becomes consequential. Yeah. Because it's just like, it's like a wave you give your friend when you're just leaving the room and you're going to come back. But it's just this beautiful little recognition and and then Steph gets out of the room and yeah. they just stay there together until the infection takes over and so Anna finds her dad in the auditorium the headmaster has tied him up with lights and built a barricade on the stage it's the most ridiculous thing and then he's like time to give him a show something and just says something super villainy yeah, and him and Anna have this song, and in it he says, I've never felt this much bliss. Yeah, he's like, he's living his best life. And he also says that while the curtain burns, you might as well have some fun. Yeah, I called this the hero-villain final stand song. Because it's very much like, I have all the odds stacked against you. What are you going to do, little girl? And she stops, puts her hair in a ponytail, which I was like, thank you. Yeah. I, I love those little details because you would have to do that in this kind of situation. And the gymnasium is full of zombies. And she has this amazing song that she's singing. And she just takes them out. Yeah. She fights her way to the stage. She gets up there. She frees her dad. Real quick, can we talk about the end fight sequence and the choreography? Yeah. Because she has like a ball. She kicks it at one zombie, kicks him in the stomach. He bends over. And then as she's running through the crowd, like as she runs through the crowd of zombies, they're like trying to descend on her, but it ends up creating like this shock wave or what would you call it? like a wave effect? So they're closing in on her just as she passes. And uh. that happens all the way down the line. And then she jumps on the dude's back and catapults herself onto the, the stage with her dad and Savage. It's really great. Yeah. I just I just thought it was really cool. And so she saves him and they're hugging. And then Headmaster comes up and goes, group hug. He literally is like certifiable. Yeah. And they're like, no. No. So he bashes a wine bottle and goes after her dad and calls him a roly-poly pig face plebe. And I don't normally advocate for murder, but in this scenario... They should have killed him. Not because he was evil, but because he was more of a threat than the zombie. And so, yeah, the, the dad's fighting with him. They're good old-fashioned fist fight. And Anna lets the star go, the one that almost hit him earlier. And it launches him into the group of zombies. And he's just like, yes, yes, like he's crowd surfing or something. Absolutely. That's exactly what I wrote down. And then they pull him down. 
and it's really gross. Yeah, I, I wrote, I was like, his death is really gross, but I watched the whole thing because I was glad he met a terrible end because he inflicted so much misery on people. Yeah. It was such a fitting end for him. And then she's like, Dad, come on. And he looks down at his leg and you see he got bit. And he's like, there's not enough time. And he goes, if your mom could see you now. Echoing what he told her in the beginning that her mom wouldn't be proud of her, but now she would. Yes. And he also and I, says, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. He also says, I don't, I don't like your boyfriend. And she said, he's not my boyfriend. And the and dad goes, well, there's good news. Because it's at that moment that Nick shows back up. He actually, because when you leave him in the last scene, he's talking about how he, when it comes to killing zombies, he's the top of his class. And he actually is, because he made it through a whole horde of them onto the stage. But I love this scene because these are his final, this is Anna's dad's final moments with her. Like, they know it's it, and the infection takes over so quickly, so they've got to get out of there. But with his last moments, he does. He makes sure to build her up and sustain her for what is to come, because it's like he knows that it's not going to end as soon as they walk out of the building. There's going to be more happening. And he just takes that time just to assure her that she is equipped for this and she can handle herself. And he says, I might start crying again. But um, he says, for once in your life, don't argue with me. Yes. because And I, that's what I love about the writing and the performances is the interactions between these characters are so real. They're so human. Not one of them is overdone, which, you know, is very surprising given that this is a Christmas zombie musical. You would expect maybe a little bit of overdoneness, but the characters are so well-formed and they are relatable and they are real. They're real people. And the acting is top-notch. Yes. Yeah, I wrote down stupid tears because I was full-out crying. Yeah, it was sad. It, it was. I was shocked the first time that I watched this just going through like how much loss happened. So I was almost in a shell-shocked numbness. So I wasn't crying. I was just like, I can't believe all of this is happening. And I mean, I knew in this round, because I'd seen it before, that dad wasn't going to make it out. But the first time, I thought her and her dad were going to get away. But this time, I just forgot how much it hit me. Mm -hmm. So Nick and Anna get outside, and all hope is lost. They are surrounded on all sides by a horde of zombies. And there's a funny line earlier where they're like, how many is a horde? Yes. Well, this is a horde. Um, yes. Then there's no possible escape. They're coming from all directions. Yeah, and there's a high fence behind them. And there's nowhere to go. And just at that moment. Well, let's talk about this scene really quick because okay. I don't want to gloss over it too much because the way this is shot is really cool. Because even the color like tone of the of the shot it's very gray it's very bleak and when anna starts singing the last song it's called i will believe it's this very it's very much things don't look good but there's this acceptance to it and as she's singing and the hordes of zombies are getting closer we also get to see john chris and lisa as zombies but they've retained, it seems, and I might be reading into this too much, but there are zombies for sure. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts, but there's a little bit of like a memory of, of their humanity because like Chris and Lisa are like zombies and they're just 
walking around, but they stop in their hands. They, they try to hold hands. Their hands. Yeah. They kind of hold their hands out in a way that they brush as they're walking past each other. And John right. is sitting there and he kind of like is hitting on his chest and he turns on his Christmas sweater so that it lights up. Yeah. And then like, he seems very happy about that. And then we see that the dad does succumb to the to his bite, and the last thing he sees is a picture of Anna because he's looking at it on her on his phone. Yeah, and then so, it just starts to snow. Yeah, and she closes her eyes, and you just get this feeling of like she accepts what's going to happen. Like, but as long as she's, I think I can't remember the lyrics of the song, but it was something like, as long as there's a breath in me, I will believe. Yeah. So sh- she closes her eyes. It starts to snow, and. Steph pulls up. Boom, saved your life, which is like such a funny line. And like they, she pulls up in this bright aquamarine car. And so Anna gets in the back and Nick gets in the front and they speed away. As they're driving down the road, you know, they're you see them trying to at least process a little bit of what's happening. Anna's crying, um, Steph- but not like sobbing, just, just tears running down her face. It kind of feels like the weight of everything that's happened is starting to catch up to them. Cause it's like a moment that the, it's a moment of reprieve. So they're able to kind of process what happened. And Nick's just looking out the window and Steph goes, where to next? And no one answers. Cause no one has any answers at that point. And it just in the background but, quietly starts playing Hollywood ending. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because I wrote not the trio I thought we'd end up with, but we're reminded through the echoing refrains that there's no such thing as a Hollywood ending. So it's like it wasn't the ending that made, you know, sense movie wise. It was the ending that happened because that's who survived. And there was no big moment of like, oh, Nick and Anna are back together. Love of my life or anything like that. It's no. So, yeah, it wasn't the Hollywood ending, which, you know, God forbid, yeah, God forbid there's ever a zombie apocalypse because living through this pandemic, we're all doomed. But that's not how it would be. There wouldn't be a nice little wrap up and like, oh, we're saved now. It would just be about trying to make steps forward. Yeah, because, I mean, what what do you do? Where do you go? Yeah, so it's like there are no answers given. You just know that they made it out. And as they're driving off, this Merry Christmas banner blows in the wind and blows on the screen. And it just says, Merry Christmas. And this gets me every fucking time. But a zombie Santa rips it down and is, like, rips it down and just startles the shit out of you. Yeah. At the very end. He's just and like, I ah. fucking hate it. It's so, like, I laugh, but I also hate it. I, I had forgotten all about that and did not expect it. It got me for certain. He's also a super scary zombie Santa. Yeah, he's real scary. But yeah, that's the end. Anna and the apocalypse. So something really cool about this film is for Austinites, it debuted at Fantastic Fest 2017 here in Austin, Texas. And many of the cast uh, were in attendance. I've always wanted to go to Fantastic Fest. I was going to go this year. Stupid pandemic. But yeah, so McPhail, the director, said that Anna and the Apocalypse was heavily influenced by West Side Story, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Breakfast Club, and then, like I said, uh, the musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Once More with Feeling. And there's also a novel, also called Anna and the Apocalypse, that is based off the screenplay that was written by Barry Waldo. 
Oh, they had a female fight choreographer. That's amazing. Yeah. So something that was really cool, and Ella Hunt said it was a wonderful environment to work and play in on the set of Anna the Apocalypse because there were so many women. The cinematographer, the fight coordinator, the choreographer, who Sarah Swire also played Steph, several of the producers, the heads of the makeup and costume and post-production departments were all women. And I looked, and most of the costume and makeup department were women as well. She said that that was just a very good environment to work in. That's awesome. But, oh, this is kind of funny, too. So Paul Kay, who plays Headmaster Savage, is killed by zombies in the end of the film. He also was killed by a zombie bear in Game of Thrones. (laughs) So... This dude, this dude has, um, he, he plays a, a type, I guess. And the type is gets eaten by zombies. Put that on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> I often get eaten by zombies in films. So make of that what you will. But yeah, like I said, this movie was called an acclaimed flop. So the film received very positive reviews, but it wasn't very financially successful. But like a lot of movies that start to get a cult following, we're starting to see kind of a resurgence in popularity. Yeah, and I know that a podcast, cast that I listen to that's like a horror movie podcast they just did an episode about snowbound um movies because they were like uh we don't want to do Christmas everybody does Christmas but they mentioned Anna and the Apocalypse on it because they're like people don't talk about it enough so it's like yeah yeah so I'm excited that we did this episode because we've actually had this one on the roster for a year because you and me both decided a year ago to schedule this for December 2020. So I think that was the first show we scheduled for 2020. Yeah, it, I'm pretty sure it was. So this one's been in the works for a long time. But let's read some of the reviews. Do you have those? Yes. So this is um, Amy Nicholson from IndieWire. Said, like its star, Anna in the Apocalypse merrily charges through danger. It's a genre mashup populated with cliches. Anna's classmates include the fierce activist, the attention-seeking bimbo, and the self-doubting artist, but McPhail finds small moments to make his characters unique. So, and I I would normally take offense to the word bimbo, but there's been a reclamation of the word bimbo, and I kind of love it now. Nice. I'm not as offended by that term. I wouldn't necessarily categorize Lisa as a bimbo. I no. would say like a drama queen, but you know... That, that's her opinion, I didn't, but I wouldn't really categorize her as a bimbo. I didn't see bimbo-esque character traits. I saw just more drama queen, best friend traits. Stephen Dalton from The Hollywood Reporter said, Working from a script co-written by McHenry, director John McPhail expands the darker original into a sunny sing-along flesh chomping zomcom romp this schlocky horror picture show combines a zesty young cast with an infectious comic energy i liked his wordplay yeah zomcom romp that's funny no and then jocelyn novick from associated press said whatever its cinematic antecedents anna boasts an appealing cast of fresh-faced newcomers and a quirky scottish sensibility it is charming often clever and unexpectedly moving. And who's to say we're not ready for a zombie horror holiday musical? Compared to your average TV newscast these days, it's positively relaxing. And this wasn't even in 2020 yet. And then she goes on, by the end, you may find yourself wiping away a few tears. Somehow this amusing chaotic mashup of genres finds a way to strike a final note that's simple and true. So, and that is the overall theme. Like there were some that were a little more mixed, but overall it, it had very positive reviews. So what's your rating? I would like to have seen more diversity 
And I think that's always the thing that keeps it like from the A plus for me, like, cause it's like, we were in a time where that was possible. So for me, this is definitely an A, but it's always what keeps it from that plus is just having better representation within your characters. Yeah, the exact same for me. Like, the music is amazing. The acting is phenomenal. The dancing, the set design, everything is just top-notch. But if they just could have had better representation. Yeah, because this really has some amazing, well-written female characters. I love the characters of Anna and Steph, and particularly Steph. I found myself connecting with her a lot, or maybe just relating to her a little bit. And I love the actors that played these characters. And I wish they would do more, but I just, I love this, the acting. I love the way these characters were written. And I think they're really good role models for teenagers, because this is not appropriate for children, but older teenagers to watch and see. It's like, yeah, you can be a teenager and you can be equipped to handle a crisis. You, your age doesn't have to define your ability to respond. Definitely. So what is your recommendations based on Anna and the Apocalypse? Well, It's funny because I was thinking about changing my recommendation and then I saw what you had put and that was going to be what I was going (laughs) to change my recommendation to. So I'll stick with my original recommendation, which is another Christmas murder musical, albeit this one is a completely different tone. And this is the movie Eight Women or Eight Femmes from 2002. It is a French Christmas murder mystery musical. And it is a ride, let me tell you. I will butcher everybody's names, so I'm not going to try, uh, but it'll all be in the show notes. The plot revolving around an eccentric family of women and their employees in the 1950s, the film follows eight women as they gather to celebrate Christmas in an isolated snowbound cottage only to find Marcel, the family patriarch, dead with a knife in his back. Trapped in the house, every woman becomes a suspect, each having her own motive and secret. Yeah, this is a fun one, especially if you enjoy costumes and sets. Like, they're just gorgeous. And then you have Catherine Deneuve, who's in this as well, who is just French film royalty. I realize this is your choice, but I was just giving my opinion. Oh, no, that's okay. We do a weekly movie night, and I showed this um, as my Christmas selection. So Lacey just watched it for the first time. Yeah, and the songs are just hysterically funny some of them but it's a lot of fun it's based on a play so if you're like huh it's really weird that they don't leave this room very often that's why that makes a lot of sense I could totally see it as a stage play so what are your recommendations that I 100% second okay well the one that you were gonna pick let me know when I say it and then we'll just make that a joint recommendation the first thing that came to my head and it's because of a particular scene because I just watched it um, for Halloween but Shaun of the Dead which was released in 2004 so this is a film that was directed by Edgar Wright it was written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg and it stars Simon Pegg Nick Frost Kate Asheville Lucy Davis and Dylan Moran I love Dylan Moran so much Yes, we saw him live. We saw his his stand-up set in Austin, right? Yes, we did. It was, he was amazing. So funny. Oh my god. And he he's also stars in Black Books, which if you haven't seen Black Books, you should. It's so funny. But the premise is a man's uneventful life is disrupted by the zombie apocalypse. So, 
short, sweet, to the point. I think most people have probably seen this. On the off chance you haven't, it's it's really funny. Again, it's a zombie apocalypse apocalypse movie that has a little bit of levity to it. But the scene in particular that that I thought of when I watched this movie was in the bar when they turn on Don't Stop Me Now and they're fighting the zombies. Oh, yeah. It had a very cinematic, like, musical element to it. So I was like, oh, that would kind of fit in with this. And also it's a British zombie movie. So very, very close to Scotland. Not a far jump. This is the one I was thinking of because the tones are so similar. Like, Mm -hmm. they're both really funny up to a point, and then it's, like, deadly serious. It gets real, real. No, and and, um, I think I read somewhere, but I can't say it for sure. I think Shaun of the Dead was also an influence for Anna and the Apocalypse. I could see that. I think it was. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense, so... I can't say it for certain, but I think I think that's pretty safe to say. But my next pick is also a British holiday comedy. And I don't know that it's a full-on musical, but it does have some really great music. It is not a zombie movie, however. This goes the other way. And this one's called Nativity from 2009. And it's directed and written by Debbie Isaac. So we got, we got our lady director and screenwriter in there. So yeah, yeah. And it stars... Martin Freeman, Mark Wooten, Jason Watkins, Ashley Jensen, and Pam Ferris. And you will know Pam Ferris if you watch Call the Midwife, or you have seen Matilda and she plays the trench bowl. This premise is, or synopsis, I guess I should say, is an uptight but secretly heartbroken primary school teacher's little white lie about Hollywood coming to see his class's nativity play grows like wildfire in his ragtag school low on self-esteem. And this is just a feel good holiday movie and I think the first part of Anna and the Apocalypse felt a little bit like this to me so just a lot of fun music there's some comedy in there I don't know there was something that felt similar to me about the two films that kind of tied them together but very 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 different Nativity is appropriate for the whole family I will second Nativity and it's Nativity with an exclamation point at the end Nativity. It is amazing. We watch it every year. The music I sing all the time. It's fantastic. And a lot I've... of people in the UK will know this. They turned it into a stage show. It was either last year or the year before. There's three or f- four movies in the series. Really? I only knew there were two. Yeah, so the second one has David Tennant playing twins in it. Yes, that one is called Nativity 2, Danger in the Manger, which is amazing. The third one is called Nativity 3, Dude, Where's My Donkey? And Catherine <laughs> Tate is in it. Which, I mean, I love Catherine Tate. I want to find that version so bad. It has not had a U.S. release. Although, I wonder if you can find it on YouTube. Maybe. Or if I get my region-free DVD player. That Is I've, that on your Christmas list? It's not, but I've been thinking about buying myself one. Then we could maybe get a U.K. release of it. Well, maybe Santa will bring you it if you ask for it. Santa? Santa? But yeah, so definitely check that out. because, And again, it's fun for the whole family, so... 
you can watch that one with kids. This Anna and the Apocalypse and Shaun of the Dead do not watch with children. Also, don't watch this next recommendation with children, um, but you can watch it with your teens. This is um, the influence, one of the influences for Anna and the Apocalypse. This is Buffy the Vampire Slayer once more with feelings. So this is from season six, episode seven, which aired in 2001, almost 20 years ago. Wow. Holy and- smokes. Yeah, so the synopsis is, in this musical extravaganza, Sunnydale residents find themselves bursting into song and flame when a demon attempts to make Dawn his bride. And we have a lot of um, stats on our Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode. So if you want more information about that show, definitely go watch that episode just to learn more about the cast and crew. Um, Because I just didn't feel like writing it down again because we have a whole episode. So just go check it out. Um, But yeah, it's kind of hard to watch if you don't watch the whole series of Buffy. But if you get started now, you might be able to watch that one for New Year's. (laughs) happy christmas everyone yes merry christmas happy holidays whatever you celebrate we hope you are having a wonderful season with your bubble and you are staying safe wearing a mask and keeping your loved ones safe yes and we will see you in the new year we have (gasps) A whole slate of fun things coming up and some wonderful guests. And Lacey's already planned out what all our bonus episodes are going to be for our Patreon supporters. So take a look and see if you're interested in joining the Fatal Family. Absolutely. Yeah. And the bonus episodes may or may not be themed to the month's uh, programming. So there's that to look forward to. So yes, we wish you all the happiest of holidays and see you in January. Yeah, see you next year. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode, because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.